Good morning, Trinity. It is indeed my honor and my pleasure to be with you this morning. Please forgive my brief awkwardness. I am United Church of Christ, and we are many things, but high church we are not. <laughs> so I am enjoying the beauty of this worship together. Please pray with me. Holy One, we thank you for those gathered in this space, and I ask that you send your spirit to speak through the proclaimer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Gospels record several instances where Jesus reaches out to unnoticeable women, inconspicuous, silent sufferers who blend into the background and are seen by others as negligible entities destined to exist on the fringes of life. I am reminded of the woman with the issue of blood recorded in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, who suffered with an issue of blood for 12 years before crawling through a crowd just to get to Jesus. And he noticed her. Then there was a woman in the temple that the writer of Luke tells us had been bent over for so long that she could no longer even look up. Her view of herself and her possibilities was diminished, yet, Jesus saw her. Later in John 8, a woman accused of adultery is dragged alone before Jesus to be judged. Her accusers want her punished, but Jesus sees their motives clearly and acts in ways that set this woman free. Jesus, my friends, has a habit of seeing those who are marginalized and disempowered. He sees those relegated to the sidelines and he recognizes their needs. And often in one glorious wrenching moment, rescues them from obscurity and places them in the center of the redemption story. Is this not the cause of Christ? Is this not the hope for ourselves? that Jesus sees us and is in need of us. Our text this morning, read in your hearing, begins with Jesus' need. Jesus is on his way to Galilee from Judea and decides to go through Samaria to get there. Not a likely choice for a Jew, seeing as the Samaritans and the Jews were the Hatfields and the McCoys of that day. Going through Samaria was certainly the most expedient route, but not the most pleasant. Yet the text says Jesus had to go that way. Jesus is tired. So when they reach the city of Sychar, Jesus decides to rest at Jacob's well while the disciples go in search of food. And while he's waiting, this unnamed village woman from Samaria shows up alone to get water in the heat of the day. Jesus had to go through Samaria, and the woman had to have water. They both make unconventional choices. Jesus, to travel through enemy territory, and the Samaritan woman 
to wait past the time that women would gather water together and go at noon alone. Two people who are both alone and who both have needs meet at this well. Jesus, yes, divine, but also fully human, is tired and thirsty. But the water needed to quench his thirst is too deep for him to draw without a bucket unless he uses superpowers. And although the woman has a bucket, the parched places she has inside herself cannot be quenched by the water from the well. Jesus is thirsty, and the Samaritan woman is depleted. And in this moment, they need one another to satisfy either need. But socio-political religious customs would prohibit such a connection. Jesus is of the chosen, and the Samaritan woman is of the rejected. Jesus is a man in a man's world, a world this woman cannot call her own. Jesus is in a position of power. The Samaritan woman is not. It is a reminder, my friends, that sometimes Jesus has as much need of us as we have of Jesus. That's hard for many of us to embrace that we might actually have something Jesus needs. That Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, needs us. That we too have something to offer no matter how insignificant we may, may often feel, how dismissed and unappreciated our service may seem, no matter how disappointed we may be in ourselves, in spite of any shame we may harbor because of guilt we carry from sins we may have done or may have, done, may have had done to us, Jesus still has need of us. This encounter at the well, whose name John does not even bother to say, reminds us that we are important to the story and Jesus needs us to show up. Neither Jesus nor the woman in this text will have what they need in this moment if they don't help each other. So, Jesus crosses socially, religiously imposed boundaries to ask the Samaritan woman for what he needs. Give me some water, he says. And friends, I encourage you during your time today to ask yourselves, what is it that you are thirsting for in this thing called life? What self-imposed boundaries keep us from asking for what we need? Jesus, for Jesus, there were social, political, and religious boundaries that separated him from this woman. There was a history between these people that mandated division. What are the boundaries we must cross to have what we truly need? 
Jesus crosses gender boundaries by engaging this woman as a valid conversation partner. As a matter of fact, this is the longest private conversation Jesus has with anyone recorded in the Bible. It is to this woman whom he makes the first self-revelation of the entire gospel. He says to her, I am he. Secondly, Jesus crosses social boundaries. He is one of the chosen, she is one of the rejected, and yet she has something to offer him. And in one encounter with Jesus, begins to deconstruct the very notion of chosenness, diminishing the dispensation of God's favor as an act of favoritism, worthy of his time, worthy of his attention, worthy of his grace, and so are we. The coming of Christ is God saying, we are all chosen, and God has need of us. Thirdly, Jesus crosses religious boundaries by revealing a God that is less concerned with our place of worship. In our context, that could be our denominations, our buildings, our platforms. Jesus seems less concerned about that than our posture of worship. Here it is in the text. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. God is moved by authentic worship. And authentic worship is not measured by place, but by posture. Our attitude, our approach to God and God's people. Something interesting happens in this encounter because Jesus is waiting for others to be nourished and quenched. And yet when Jesus tells her about the living water, this Samaritan woman reveals in the confession that she has been waiting on him. This is relevant because as much as the Jews had come to despise and disregard Samaritans, and as much as the Samaritans dismissed Jewish customs and rituals, the reality is they came from the same beginning. They were both Jews. They both intermarried. They both got some things right and some things wrong. And this is relevant to us, my friends, because no matter how different some of our religious practices have become, no matter the differences in our doctrines, the expansiveness or the narrowness of our understanding of God, we've all come from the same beginnings, from the very same breath of God. And might I suggest, just as Jesus and this woman needed one another at that well, we need one another now. We do not have the luxury of fighting with one another about matters that do not matter to God. 
It's not the person from the radically different culture on the other side of the world that's hard to live with, but the nearby neighbor whose skin tone, language, rituals, values, history, economic status, gender expression, sexuality, and customs may be different from our own. The Jews hated the Samaritans and refused to deal with them because they were no longer pure, because they worshiped in a different place, because they heard God in a different way. I ask you this morning, who are the ones we refuse to worship with? Who are the ones we refuse to deal with? The woman's testimony in this text is, come see a man who's told me everything I've done. Could this man be the Christ? I have a tendency to translate for myself. So the TDB version, Tracy Devon Blackman, says, come see the one who told me about myself, the one who showed me and exposed the sources of my pain. The question I ask you this morning, friends, is where are your wounds? We all have them. Wounds. Not just scars, but wounds. Scars are reminders of healed places, both naturally and spiritually, that places that have already been healed. But it's important to remember scars can only form after a wound. We have scars, but we also have wounds, deep places that need to be healed. Nadia Bowes-Weber reminds me that Jesus was resurrected in wounded body. Wounds, not scars. Wounds so deep that he invited Thomas to place his hand inside. In this world, we will be wounded. And the Jesus who sees us, who knows everything there is to know about us, who sees our wounds and our wounding is waiting by the well. The one who sees our pains and wants to heal us everywhere we hurt is waiting to quench a thirst that cannot be quenched otherwise. I am intrigued by this text, for that is normally where we celebrate that Jesus gives this woman a taste of living water. But I suggest to you there is also another celebration. For the text says that having encountered Jesus, the woman runs to tell everyone and leaves her jar there. Some would suggest she leaves the jar because she's so excited she runs off without it. But women are practical people. <laughs> and we know when Jesus leaves, we're still gonna have to get that water out of the well. 
So it's hard for me to believe that that's why she leaves it. I suggest to you, she leaves the, the jar because Jesus was thirsty and Jesus had need of her as well. Amen.